if you want to build trust in yourself and have confidence in yourself, you better do what you say you will do. So those little things that you don't think matter, like putting the phone away when you're with your kids or shutting the electronics off to get to sleep or training the way you say you'll train or um, you know, eating the way you say you're going to eat. If you're not doing those things when you know you should be doing them, and I'm not saying perfectly, but at least trying and showing up more consistently, you frankly shouldn't trust yourself. You shouldn't have a lot of confidence in yourself. But stated positively, when you get clear on the things that you're committed to doing, you make reasonable, appropriate goals for them, then you do those things more consistently, you build deep trust in yourself. And then you forge what I call anti-fragile confidence, where you become the person who does what you need to do, whether you feel like it or not, especially when you don't feel like it. I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, leaders, and people looking for high performance in business and in life. Now, each week, I sit down with one of the world's most successful people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, mindsets, and habits that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. And if you want access to over 300 episodes and insights with game changers and change makers, head to whatgotyouthere.com, where you can also subscribe to my Momentum Monday newsletter. Hey guys, it's Sean, and if you are looking for a podcast episode that is going to inspire, motivate, and I believe change your life, I think it is going to be this conversation with Brian Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Heroic, which is an incredible social training platform to help you live a better and more fulfilling life. Now, on this episode, Brian dives into a lot of the wisdom he's uncovered over the last 25 years, and he basically has studied every amazing thought leader over the last 3,000 years. I don't say that lightly. Everyone from Aristotle to Benjamin Franklin to Theodore Roosevelt, it doesn't matter. He's uncovered their wisdom and he's brought that to life. And he's done that in his new book, Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. So get ready to understand the fundamental choice we have to make in our lives, how to go from theory to practice with all of the amazing ideas you're gonna learn in this episode, and then how to activate your heroic potential. So keep listening and enjoy this podcast with Brian Johnson. Hey guys, it's Sean, and I've got something really special to share with you. My new book, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well-Crafted, is out now. Inside the pages, you'll find 365 daily meditations carefully designed to challenge, inspire, and catalyze personal and professional evolution. To get your copy, head to masterpieceinprogressbook.com or go to Amazon and search Masterpiece in Progress by Sean Delaney, or you can just click the link below. Can't wait for you guys to read it. Are you a leader, executive, or CEO who everyone looks to for all the answers? If so, who are you turning to when faced with your own challenges? This is a silent burden many high performers face. And if you've been looking for a trusted coach to be in your corner, one who offers clear, unbiased insights, fortifies your confidence, ignites clarity, and challenges your perspectives, then I've got something special for you. I'm opening up five exclusive spots for my executive life coaching program that starts January 1st. Now, this is an intensive 90-day one-on-one coaching program blending strategy, accountability, and deep self-introspection to get clarity on what will make for a fulfilling life and how to unlock your abilities to make that life become a reality. Now, these 90 days are going to change the trajectory of your entire year. And just so we're clear, this isn't for the people who are just going through the motions of life. 
This is for the people who are in pursuit of their best life. And since you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're one of those people. But remember, I am only accepting five new people this year. So if you're interested and want to reserve your spot today, send me an email right now, sean at whatgotyouthere.com, and I spell Sean S-E-A-N. Can't wait to start working with you. Brian, welcome to the Look Got You There podcast. How are we doing today? Sean, I'm doing great. Thrilled to be here with you today. Looking forward to our chat. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for this. Like I said, your work has really resonated and deeply impacted me, and it's helped with some of the choices I've made in life. I know you've made some important choices, but I would love to talk about the choice of Hercules and the impact that story can have on our lives. Choice of Hercules. We're getting right at it. There we so go. it's one of my stories. And uh, so Choice of Hercules, it's a story that Socrates used to tell. Epictetus talks about how Socrates would tell it. Um, and the ancient Stoics and Greeks kind of revered Hercules. Obviously, he's a mythological hero, but he embodied a lot of the qualities that they admired. So imagine Hercules before he's Hercules, right? He's out in the forest on a walk by himself, and he comes to a fork in the road. And two goddesses um, approach him. And one of the goddesses kind of rushes in front of the other one. And she's sort of overly made up and preening a bit. This is how Socrates describes it 2,500 years ago. And you can almost imagine her getting ready to snap a selfie and put it up on Instagram, right? And she tells uh, Hercules that her name is Happiness, but she's lying. Her name is actually Vice, right? And she tells Hercules, hey, follow me, Hercules. Hey, follow me. And I'll give you a life of ease and luxury, and you'll never have to face any challenges. It's going to be awesome, right? Just follow me. Now, the other goddess waits patiently, and then she steps forward, and she's got this stern, austere, elegant beauty kind of understated. And she says, you know, Hercules, if you follow me, I'm not going to promise you any of that stuff. In fact, I'm going to promise you a life of challenge and hardship, but you're going to create a life of deep meaning, and you'll Look back on your life with pride in the heroic or the God, I like to call them heroic gods. The gods will bless you with memories of a life well lived. Anyway, so her name, as it turns out, is Arate. And Hercules chooses, of course, to follow the goddess Arate, um, which leads to a whole another conversation. But the choice of Hercules is that captured 2,500 years ago. I like to say it's, it's the perfect embodiment of the choice we all face today. We're seduced by society to think that life should be easy. You go after the fame, the wealth, the hotness, and it's all going to be yours without any effort. Um, but the reality is life is challenging. It always has been. And your great life comes on the other side of that choice to live with virtue, to live with excellence and do your best. Walk me through the internal dialogue for you when you're going through challenge, you're going through hardship, you're going through stress. What is the narrative like in your head as you're going through those? Because you know you're growing through that. And I'm just wondering how you process that. Yeah, well, I mean, to step back, I, you know, I've got the books called Arte. My arm is tattooed with Arte. Every single thing I do is about trying to follow the goddess of Arte from that choice. So when I'm faced with hardship, I'm thinking of, of frankly, her and that, and that idea of being my best self. So to, to frame it up, which is my practical tool of how I address um, challenges I face, um, the first and, and most important thing I do is, look, what's my best self? In any given moment, we can show up in a certain way. And if there's a gap between who we could be and who we're actually being, 
It's in that gap in which regret, anxiety, disillusionment exists. So first of all, I expect challenges. Then when they come, I like to slow down, step back, and ask myself, what do I want? Um, I want to be my best self in this moment. All right, well, what do you need to do to close the gap and to show up and to meet this challenge? Um, but you know, embodying the ideals of the ancient Greek and Stoic philosophers by living with arte, which is their one word summation of their philosophy and admonition of creating a great life is be your best self, moment to moment to moment. Then there's a million other things we can talk about. I'm trying to approach my challenges rather than avoid them. Really powerful scientific frame. If you're avoiding your problems, good luck. They're going to multiply. You need to approach them. I like to practice something called bring it on which my coach, Phil Stutz, um, who's in the Netflix documentary called Stutz, says, bring it on. Your infinite potential exists on the other side of your comfort zone. How does it feel when you leave your comfort zone and you get challenged? Uncomfortable. Perfect. Flip it around. Use that as fuel to show up and be your best self. Um, but now I've said a half a dozen things. So <laughs> those are some of the ways I approach it. No, no, no. It's getting everyone fired up here. It's funny. When I saw your book coming out, with the word arte, I've had this bracelet. I have it engraved with arte. I've had it for years. No uh, way. Yep, it's been a word that's wow. deeply impacted my life. Uh, so obviously, all, all the work you do is is very influential in that as well. I want to know for you though, Brian. When did the moment happen where you said, "You know what? I need to step up. I'm being called. I need to embrace these challenges. I'm going to move towards arte in my own life." Because I think you see this where a lot of people they're met with that moment, but they never make that choice to step over that line and start embodying this? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Joseph Campbell, who's the world's leading thinker on, on um, kind of the uh, art and science of mythology, if you will, uh, mythology scholar, says that a good, a good life is one hero's journey after another. So it's not like a one and done kind of thing. And then Stephen Pressfield takes it even further. And he says, look, a great life is one hero's journey after another and a thousand of them a day. Mm. He's like, if you go into a lab and you're watching Jay-Z, you know, produce music, he's literally answering the call all day, every day. And then Abraham Maslow says the same thing. He says that in any given moment, you have a choice and it's any given moment. It's not once a lifetime or once a decade or even once a year or once a day. In any given moment, moment to moment to moment, you have a choice. Do you step forward into growth or back into safety? So there's always this potential to express our best self. Um, and there have been, frankly, probably more moments in my life in which I haven't stepped up than I have. But I've, I've cobbled together enough of those moments in which I was willing to walk through what I call a fear door and do something I was afraid to do that was of significance. And of course, all the little micro moments that led up to it. But it's, it's um, Part of my work is to, to reframe it where it isn't like a New Year's, you know, resolution kind of thing. It's new day and then new moment. We have an opportunity to close the gap. And it doesn't matter how long you waited. Some spiritual teachers say the moment you turn on the light, you flip on the light in a dark room, it's lit. So the moment you decide to be your best self, boom, that's the moment you're reborn to your potential. Now, if you've made poor choices for a long period of time, when you turn on the light, there might be a lot of dust and cobwebs in your room. Perfect. Clean them up, you know, but make the next best choice and the next best choice. And when you fall short, which you will, there are no perfect human beings, Maslow tells us as well, then make the next best choice in the next moment. Learn from it, get better. So what I love most about it is it's, it's, it's a moment to moment to moment thing. 
which is really empowering because it doesn't matter how many moments preceded this one uh, in terms of negativity and good news, bad news, you can change it, but then you need to keep on doing it. You're never going to get to a point you know, where you can go take an extended vacation and think you're exonerated. You know? Yeah, but the, the point that you bring up the moment to moment to moment is I see this happen so often where someone has a rough morning and they allow that to influence the rest of their day or they have a, a rough year and you don't have to wait for tomorrow or like you said, the start of a new year. It's right now. And that's the invisible yep. barrier, one of those mental limits that we place on ourselves. And I think what you do such a good job of is you allow people and show them and empower them to make that decision in that moment. And then once they get past that moment, say, oh, wow, you know what? Let me do that again in this next moment. And to your yep. point, then you keep piling that on top of one another. And so I want to know about just the, the zest and energy you have for life. Have you always been like this? Yeah, but dude, I got to ask you a question. So Arate bracelet, what? what What? led you to get that? We're going to upgrade you to the tattoo soon <laughs> enough. But I just want to, if I can, insert myself. That's amazing. What, what, what affinity did you have to the word that was so strong that led you to do that? I'm trying to remember exactly what year it was. It was probably when my first, so we have three kids now, uh, probably when my, my oldest son, right around the time he was born. And to your point a minute ago, moment to moment to moment, I realized the stress of being a new parent, there are times we're not showing up as our best. And it, it was a friend of mine, I'm pretty sure, an investor who shared the concept of Arte and the origins of it. And I realized that, oh, you know what? Yeah, there's this ability, like you said, who I want to be, who I'm being right now, there's a gap. And I have the decision and I get to make that choice moment to moment to moment if I'm going to show up as my best self. It became the most empowering word and philosophy in my entire life. So yeah, we're deeply connected there. Oh my gosh. Sorry to interrupt the, the show here. Dude, that's so cool. Um, energy and zest. So what was the question related to that? No. See, you exude zest energy. And I would love to know just about that activation energy you have because it's palpable. All right, cool. I, I shared that with you in the prelude to our chat before we pressed record of, dude, you got it. So you're seeing what you got. And I admire your, we call it soul force, you know, that it's a moral charisma and just a zest and a, a felt sense of someone who's, I like to say, living in integrity with their highest ideals. That's a neurological thing. I, people can feel this. We are hardwired to trust people who, who we believe are living in integrity with their ideals. Longer chat on that. But um, yeah, I mean, science is unequivocal on the power of zest. And uh, as you know, you know, arte means virtue or excellence. A good life comes down to embodying virtue in general. And there are the cardinal virtues of wisdom, discipline, love, and courage. And then there are other virtues scientists say are most highly correlated with our well-being and flourishing. Things like gratitude, hope, curiosity, and zest. So zest, a vitality, a love of life is the number one virtue most highly correlated with our flourishing. So I'm obsessed about it in my own life and in helping others activate their heroic potential by activating their energy, first and foremost. So, you know, cultivating the self-mastery to dominate your fundamentals is what we like to talk about. Eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, and focusing your mind. Um, and I, I just, you know, um, frankly, I train as little as I can to get the effects I want, but I like to approach it like a professional athlete. You know, all right, cool. What do I need to do to get to a state where I have my energy um, activated such that I can show up in my work and in my love most powerfully? 
Um, so just super passionate about it. And um, obviously all in. Absolutely. Doing what I can. A little. We'll, we'll give a bit of the backstory here because you've got this zest, you've got this soul force that I know you've cultivated now over decades, close to 30 years here. But walk me through, you're in your early 20s, you're driving down the 405 and you puke. Dude, yeah. So when we think about whether that's before or after I wanted to end my life, that's shortly before. So I mean, I, I know what it feels like to be at the very bottom. And that's kind of a fun, well, it wasn't a fun experience, but that, you know, sounds funny and it is funny. But I started, went to UCLA. At the time, there wasn't such a thing as positive psychology. I studied psychology and business, was recruited to join the old Arthur Anderson, um, super generous with me, worked in a ton of different service lines. But I'm driving home from work, literally first week of, of work. I'm on the 405. And if you live in LA, you know the 405. I'm in traffic. I pull over to the side of the road and I literally just throw up. I'm like, what? This is my life? Uh, this is what I'm going to do? Like, are you kidding me? So I had all of this energy, you know, relatively speaking, um, with none of the philosophy behind it, none of the understanding of, well, how can I create a meaningful life? You know, first generation college student, Raised in a very conservative, blue-collar Catholic family. No idea what I wanted to do. I just knew it wasn't that. So I struggled. You know, I went to law school, threw up when I moved into uh, the dorm, or not dorm, but the apartment before I went to law school. Very good indicator for me. I'm not on the right path. Dropped out of, <laughs> dropped out of law school, you know, before a semester with none of these skills. And that's when I, 23 years old, moved back in with mom 25 years ago now. And all I could think about was ending my own life. I mean, I could not figure out how I was going to be able to integrate into the world. And, and I share that because it's important that people know that I'm not the dude that was just always, you know, on and feeling great and all the things. My dad was an alcoholic who struggled with depression. His dad was an alcoholic who ended his own life. You know, like I get that. But then I also get what it feels like to feel a sustainable level of deep meaning and joy. And I know what I did to go from there to where I am. And everyone's going to be different, but the number one things are eating, moving, and sleeping. So when we take care of those basic fundamentals and realize that our physiology is driving a lot more of our psychology than we may think, um, life becomes a lot easier, you know, and we can start controlling the controllables while dealing with some of the more complex things. Um, and that's a long non-answer to your question. So Bring us back to where you want to go there, but just wanted to, uh, you know, take a couple of uh, threads there. No, I, lo I love hearing the backstory because the importance that you didn't come out of the womb like you are right now. This was years of practice. And I want to hit on some Joseph Campbell here around some of those dark moments and how you navigated your own path. I know you love his line. The only way you know you're on the wrong path is because there is a path. And yeah. so walk <laughs> me through that. You don't know what's next for you. You're confused. It's scary. You're, you don't have that sense of meaning. How do you go yeah. from that point to where you are today? Yeah, and you can even go rewind back. You know, my first grade picture, I'm the little kid. I'm scared of everything as a kid, right? So my mom's a beautiful woman, but she doesn't know the word excited. She just says anxious. I'm anxious to see you. I'm like, no, mom, you're excited. But I'm this little anxious little dude that sucked through his sweatshirt. You know, I'm just terrified of everything. So, you know, dealing with that. But I thought it was just me. So the thing that was the biggest obstacle to my happiness was I thought everybody was fine and happy and confident and courageous and all these things, but me, I thought something was wrong with me fundamentally. And this is rule number one of self-compassion that I now teach a lot. Um, and I think it's really important because 80% of us 
have invisible disabilities of anxiety, depression, overwhelm, and all those things. Um, but you're not alone. It's rule number one of the science of self-compassion, common humanity. It's not because you're you, it's because you're human. We all experience these things at different times, but no one told me that. So here I am going through this stuff thinking it's just me, um, which was torture. But, but uh, yeah, the only thing I knew I wanted to do when I um, dropped out of law school was coach a Little League baseball team. So when I wasn't reading, I like lived at the, the library with, I remember a, a homeless gentleman being there next to me in the library and I'm reading everything there and I'm thinking thoughts. I'm glad I don't think anymore, but I'm reading and I coached this little league baseball team. Only thing I knew I wanted to do, burn my resume, work with kids. And by following what Campbell would say, that little bit of bliss that I had at the time, which was, I'm going to work with kids, right? I had done database consulting at that job I hated. Well, I had done some consulting work. And I could see in 1998 that everything was going online. The web was nascent. No one was doing anything. The phrase content management system didn't exist. <laughs> and I'm coaching this Little League baseball team and we suck. Like we're 0-5. Everyone's you know, not having a great time because we had no idea what we were doing. But I could see that in a matter of time, every single team in the league in the world would use the web for everything, like an ESPN for youth sports. <laughs> anyway, long story shorter, I created a company. You know, we wound up make, uh, won the business plan competition at UCLA's Anderson School. I raised 5 million bucks. I hired the CEO of Adidas to replace me at 25 years old. And I hired the law firm I would have wanted to work for <laughs> before I would have graduated from law school. All because I, I trusted myself to drop out of law school, went to the depths of despair, battled my dragons, but followed my bliss, did the one thing I knew I wanted to do, which was work with kids and boom, never could have predicted that I'd create a business out of it that could have a meaningful impact on the world and on my life. Um, but that's some of, of how Campbell's become, you know, a part of my life. And um, that arc is the hero's journey. You got to answer the call. You got to do the hard thing, whether it's dropping out of law school or leaving a job or moving through a relationship challenge or whatever. And out of that despair, out of that darkness often comes the thing you never could have predicted if you didn't have the courage to um, trust yourself and, uh, you know, again, go fight the dragons, then come back, hopefully with some boon, uh, and a transformed consciousness you can give to the world. Are you a leader, executive, or CEO who everyone looks to for all the answers? If so, who are you turning to when faced with your own challenges? This is a silent burden many high performers face. And if you've been looking for a trusted coach to be in your corner, one who offers clear, unbiased insights, fortifies your confidence, ignites clarity, and challenges your perspectives, then I've got something special for you. I'm opening up five exclusive spots for my executive life coaching program that starts January 1st. Now, this is an intensive 90-day one-on-one coaching program blending strategy, accountability, and deep self-introspection to get clarity on what will make for a fulfilling life and how to unlock your abilities to make that life become a reality. Now, these 90 days are going to change the trajectory of your entire year. And just so we're clear, this isn't for the people who are just going through the motions of life. This is for the people who are in pursuit of their best life. And since you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're one of those people. But remember, I am only accepting five new people this year. So if you're interested and want to reserve your spot today, send me an email right now, sean at whatgotyouthere.com, and I spell Sean S-E-A-N. Can't wait to start working with you.
Hey guys, it's Sean, and I've got something really special to share with you. My new book, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well-Crafted, is out now. Inside the pages, you'll find 365 daily meditations carefully designed to challenge, inspire, and catalyze personal and professional evolution. To get your copy, head to masterpieceinprogressbook.com or go to Amazon and search Masterpiece in Progress by Sean Delaney, or you can just click the link below. Can't wait for you guys to read it. Talk to me even more about that process of learning how to trust yourself. I'm asking this. I was talking with an executive at a, at a tech company, and they're feeling a lot of the thoughts that you were feeling back then, out of alignment, kind of questioning the path that they're on, knowing deep down it's not what they want to do. But they literally said that phrase, I don't trust myself. Yeah, dude. Well, okay. Well, so in my work, you know, we've trained 10,000 people in our, our coach program with Heroic. Um, in the book, in everything we do, we have seven objectives. The first objective is you got to know the ultimate game. Most people are playing the wrong game. Chasing fame, wealth, and hotness. Longer chat. You got to go after the intrinsic stuff. Be a better person. Deepen relationships. Make a contribution. Um, but then the second objective is forge anti-fragile confidence. So confidence etymologically comes from two little Latin words, confidere. It means intense trust. So if you aren't trusting yourself, we need to build your trust in yourself. So then the way I frame it up is, look, you know, if you and I want to form a relationship, then what do we need to do? We got to do what we say we're going to do. So we have a time schedule. And if I don't show up, you may give me a pass the first time. But if I don't do that again, you're not going to trust me. Right. And we're not going to, you're not going to have confidence in me. You're not going to trust me. Well, so I say, look, if you want to build trust in yourself and have confidence in yourself, you better do what you say you will do. So those little things that you don't think matter, like putting the phone away when you're with your kids or shutting the electronics off to get to sleep or training the way you say you'll train or, um, you know, eating the way you say you're going to eat. If you're not doing those things when you know you should be doing them, and I'm not saying perfectly, but at least trying and showing up more consistently, you frankly shouldn't trust yourself. You shouldn't have a lot of confidence in yourself. But stated positively, when you get clear on the things that you're committed to doing, you make reasonable, appropriate goals for them, then you do those things more consistently, you build deep trust in yourself. And then you forge what I call anti-fragile confidence, where you become the person who does what you need to do, whether you feel like it or not, especially when you don't feel like it. And there's a whole algorithm to it that my coach, again, Phil Studs taught me. He calls it emotional stamina. So if you want to have emotional stamina to deal with life's challenges, you need to remember that the worse you feel, the more challenged you feel, like your friend who's going through whatever challenges he's going through, all of us are always going through challenges. The worse you feel, the more committed you are to your protocol. So most people, when they feel bad, they do all the stupid stuff. They invite the circus into town and do binge watching, binge drinking, binge eating, whatever. And we've all got those things. But what if instead, when life hits you, you double down in your protocol, which presupposes you have a protocol that you know what you do when you're at your best. But that's what I always tell our coaches. Anyone I'm coaching, I don't care about their challenge ever. I'll get into some tactical stuff after I talk to them about their fundamentals. So I always say, perfect, you got that challenge. Great, I have my challenges. But how are you doing on your fundamentals? Because we need you at your absolute best right now. Show up like it's your Super Bowl. How are you eating? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? Um, are we dominating that? Because again, we want to control those controllables. 
And as we do that, we increase our energy, we increase our vitality, and that's driving our psychology. And then we feel more confident and more trustworthy of ourselves and in ourselves to meet the challenges. And again, when you get that algorithm right, where when life hits you, rather than breaking, you get stronger, you're anti-fragile, which is the opposite of fragile. And then it's bring it on. Your first question was related, the second question was related to how I deal with challenges. That's how I deal with challenges. I quadruple down on my fundamentals. And I've, I've faced some great challenges in my life, of course, and over the last couple of years. And those are the times when I'm ruthless. Like That's when I, I just go all in on the basic fundamentals mm -hmm. of, of, again, eating, moving, sleeping, things we tend to take for granted, but in my mind are everything. Talk to me about some of these basic fundamentals, because it's obvious you are a hard charger. I know you work extremely hard. Obviously, you've got, you've got clear guidelines on what's important and what matters to you. And so you had a verse in your book, it's towards the end of your book, about your son Emerson coming in and kind of interrupting, let's call it your morning routine. And he starts talking to you about, I know he's really into chess and dealing with chess. And I'm bringing this up because as a parent, I know a lot of the listeners are parents. And we've got our priorities, we've got work, all of that. And kids, they come in, they interrupt, they disrupt that morning routine. And just the compassion you had to set aside what you were doing to focus your energy and presence on him. And then what really hit me is how you teared up and essentially were just expressing the joy you get for seeing him passionate about chess and going mm. after what he loves. And as a father, I was just like, let's fucking go. Like that is, <laughs> that is everything right there. So I just, I, so my question is, walk me through how you navigate charging extremely hard in the business front and also being able to simultaneously show up as that heroic father, even when it's messing up the business flow. Oh, dude, great, great, great stuff. How old are your kids again? We talked about it a little bit before. Yeah, yeah, I have, a, I have two boys, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and then we, I have a, a two-week-old girl. So three kids now. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in it. We're in oh it, man, we're gosh. in it. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Well, I'll tell you what, separate chat, but it gets, it gets better and better and better. As cool as it is at five and two, for me, my relationship has gone next level, literally over the last year and a half, mm -hmm. you know, where I went from helping mom out and being there and trying to be a good dad to, wow, I can really help with a lot of the things we're talking about now with a kid that's so beautiful and so passionate about his chest. But it's funny because you, you're perfectly bringing us through the next objective. So I start by, you got to know the ultimate game. And the ultimate game is to be the best version of yourself um, intrinsically, which is what you're talking about here as a husband, a father, and a human being, um, independent of your Instagram followers and your square footage of your house and all the other things, blah, blah, blah. Then you got to forge anti-fragile confidence. You got to know rule number one, that it's supposed to be hard, quit complaining about it and use it as fuel. But then objective three is optimize the big three. So especially guys like us, um, you know, we're super ambitious. And for me, my energy and my work are really easy, but it's the love that often gets lost mm -hmm. in the process. So the way we frame it up is a good life comes down to what we call your big three, energy, work, and love. And it's an extension of Stephen Covey's roles and goals, Tony Robbins's categories of improvement, which I found overwhelming. So I have so many roles, dude, and so many categories of my life I want to improve. I'm like, dude, I'm exploding trying to do them all. Yeah. So I kind of got overwhelmed and gave up on that over the years, last 25 years, whatever, at different intervals. And then Freud said that a good life comes down to two things, your work and your love. 
And it was one of those epiphanal moments where I'm like, that's right. But if your energy sucks because you're making poor lifestyle choices, you're going to have a hard time showing up in either your work or your love. Anyway, that's the big three, energy, work, and love. And why I, in that moment, chose to show up powerfully for my son. And I'm not perfect. And again, we can bring my wife in, we can bring my son in, my, my daughter, and they'll tell you all the times I don't do the things you're celebrating right now. So again, common humanity, are no perfect human beings. I'm certainly not the first. But my frame is, I want to win in my energy, work, and love. And so in our heroic app and in the book, we, we help you get clarity on your identities in energy, work, and love. My identity in love, my identity in, in energy is I'm a disciplined athlete. In work, it's I'm a heroic philosopher CEO, which means something deep to me. And then in love, it's I'm a soulmate. And not just for my wife, but for my kids and for you. Like right now, literally, me and you, it's soul to soul. My deliberate intention is I'm seeing the best in you, and I want to do everything I can to bring out that within the community that we're serving right now. So I want to be everyone's soulmate right now, literally. Like how do I speak to your soul and help you? I make that commitment every morning in our app, I'm going to be that guy. And then I commit to virtues I'm going to embody because Arte is just the meta virtue. But then I got to figure out my virtues and love. And again, we help everyone in the book get clarity on what their virtues are in the app. Mine are I'm joyful, I'm connected, and I'm encouraging are my top three virtues. So I try to show up with joy. I try to be fully connected and I try to encourage. So anyway, those are my virtues. And then I also know that when I'm at my best, I respond to my kids' bids. It's a scientific term, bids. It's, it, it is usually for, for parents preceded by, hey, daddy, hey, daddy, look at my Legos, or hey, daddy, I just did whatever I talked about with chess in the book. So anyway, I'm a very disciplined guy, and there are times where my door's locked and no one's getting in. And I want to emphasize that, that I do create clear boundaries when it needs to be clear. There are other times where it's more permeable. And I really love it when they come in. And, and that was one of those moments. But my priorities are set where I know I want to show up as my best, not just in my work, but my energy, my work, and my love. Um, and that clarity in my intention makes it easier for me to more consistently do the thing I know is right for me um, when it comes to my kids, et cetera. Again, long answer, but that's how I frame it up. Um, and this is what I've gotten the most feedback on from guys like us. Yeah. It's and easy for energy at work, you know what I mean? But like, it's got challenges, but that's easy. It's where do we integrate and how do we have a truly full integrated life where we're showing up, you know, as men we're proud of um, at home? Absolutely. I don't think there's enough people talking about it and, and showing us a better path, which is why I think a lot of the work you do is just so impactful. So Brian, I would love to hear with that intentionality you have, how you craft a masterpiece day? How do you approach each day, each morning, each evening, in order to make sure you get as close to possible as making that happen? Yep, so again, objectives one, two, and three. I know the ultimate game. I'm, I'm willing to do the hard work, forging anti-fragile confidence. The worse I feel, the more committed I am. And then I'm trying to optimize my energy work and loss. So then the way that I, I structure my masterpiece days and coach others to do the same is, First and foremost, well, just stepping back, you know, like I'm constantly iterating and saying, what's a masterpiece day look like? If I could wave a wand and create anything, what would my day look like? That's a really powerful exercise. And then I like to think about my AM and my PM bookends. 
I got that phrase from Darren Hardy, the compound effect genius book. So he says you have more control over the beginning and end of your day than the middle. Perfect. Take control of them. What would you do if you can create anything in your AM and PM? But then the thing I like to extend it to is my day today started last night. Mm -hmm. Your PM bookend is paradoxically the most important part of your day. It counts twice. You get it today and today's PM influences tomorrow. So I go all in on my PM. And my number one thing that I do to maintain my energy levels is sleep. That's the thing I didn't do when I was yeah. up and down yeah. before. And I didn't move and I ate. I'd order, buy one pizza, get one free, eat one for dinner and one for breakfast, you know? <laughs> How'd that work for you? Not very well. But anyway, my PM is really important. So I end my workday by a certain time. I spend time with my family. I'm in bed for eight to nine plus hours a night to make sure I get seven to eight plus hours of sleep every single night with asterisks, except when I don't and life happens and all that. Um, but I start my day the night before. Then I wake up feeling energized. I haven't used an alarm outside of travel days in forever. And, you know, I'm waking up at 5, 5.30, 6 a.m., boom, I'm ready to go. Then I meditate every single morning for at least 11 minutes, you know, when I'm bubble wrapped and I'm doing everything at the highest degree, I'm doing it for an hour. Um, but, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. But it's a very active, engaged meditation. I call it heroic meditation. Where I'm doing breath work. I'm getting my, you know, underlying, you know, heart rate and breathing pattern down. And then I'm, I'm focusing on the virtues that we've talked about. I bring my my heroes into my my life. And my my computer died, which is why our little setup changed. But if you look up there, you'll see Ralph Waldo Emerson on top of Joseph Campbell. I bring my heroes to my meditation and they literally talk to me every morning and they say the same thing every morning. So Emerson comes into my mind and he tells me, trust thyself. It's rule number one of self-reliance. But anyway, I meditate um, for a period of time. And then during that time, I get clarity on my number one most important win for the day. And then I do it before I allow any inputs into my life, text messages, emails, et cetera. I win the day. So I do the most important thing. It may take me this morning. It was like a three minute email that frankly, I had forgotten to draft the day before. And I did it while still in airplane mode, just in my note file, no inputs. I'm creative before reactive. Um, and then I kind of go through the day, you know, systematically doing different things. But that's the basic idea. So Brian, the intentionality is clearly there. You've got clear guidelines. I want to know about habit formation, the early days for you developing some of these practices. Break it down, actual, true habit formation for you that has sustained years. And so what I mean by that is when I think back to the big changes I've made in my life, I don't know if I started with small changes. I feel like there were switches flipped in my head internally where it said, you know what? I need to go all in here and I need to do yep. things that are pretty drastic. And I'm just curious how, it, how it's played out in your own yep. life. Yeah, dude. Again, I love it. So objective five is master yourself, in which we talk about the art and science of behavioral change. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of theoretical frameworks for how to install and delete habits, you know, that we can talk about. But I'm with you. I think it's a blend. I think it's almost always yes and. Yeah. So I think the science is right, you know, that the cue, a trigger, a prompt drives a behavior that you want to make tiny, you want to make atomic, you want to make easy to win. Um, and then you want to celebrate it and have a reward once you do it. That's the habit loop. And if you want to delete a habit, you do the opposite. 
You don't make the cue obvious. You make it invisible. You make it harder to do. Um, and then you do certain things when you fall short. Um, but I'm with you. You know, uh, oftentimes the best way to change your life is to start, you know, immediately do it, you know, flamboyantly, as William James says, go all in. Um, and I think that's important to recognize. And then to own our own idiosyncratic expression. Different people will have different approaches at different times of their life. But if you've had a hard time installing or deleting habits, I absolutely think it makes sense to step back and to honor what BJ Fogg says. Because most of us, when we fall short of our standards, we think, again, something's wrong with us. Then maybe, sure, we all got some flaws that need to be addressed. But often it's, it's less of a character flaw than it is a design flaw. You just don't know how it works. And there are certain principles of behavioral design that I think are worth knowing that I've unconsciously embodied when I succeeded. And now I more mindfully embody them when I really want to install it, especially when I'm having a hard time installing a habit or deleting a habit. Um, but yeah, again, I'm with you. There have been times in my life where I've gone all in and made significant change. But at the end of the day, it's all about consistency. Yeah. People get excited. They go walk on fire or they sit for 10 hours in meditation for 10 days. And you can't sustain that state experience without deep, deep fundamental practice. Yeah. And we've been seduced to think that you should be able to sustain that you know, I wasn't told how hard it is and how important consistency is. So that's my thing now. My thing now is show up, you know, and if we're going to drop a bomb in between show and up, it would be appropriate to do so, you know, like it's consistency. So I show up, you know, and I'll, I'll do the one sun salutation, the 10 pull-ups, the 100 burpees, the 1,000 meters of rowing, the 10,000 steps. Every day. I mean, I've missed like three days of doing all those things in like a decade. So the consistency is what creates the power. Um, but again, there's nuance to how to get good at that and all those things. Yeah, life's going to be great. Talk to me about the internal change you have. You said you, you've only missed a handful of days over the last decade. And I would venture to guess before that decade started, it was so hard for you to get started. And now it's so hard for you not to do it. And talk to me about that 100%. change. Yeah. yeah, so everybody talks about AI, you know, artificial intelligence. Wow, that's the next big thing. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. And it's astonishing what's going on there. But I like to talk about a different AI, a different AI, ancient intelligence. So in your brainstem, you have something called your basal ganglia, 250 million years old. It's basically what makes you do the things that you do. So what you do repeatedly basically programs ancient intelligence your basal ganglia. So when you're installing a habit, it's really important that you do it consistently because you're programming that ancient part of your brainstem. But you get to a point where it goes from being hard to do to hard not to do. Yeah. And you get to a point where it goes from being a chore and kind of a pain in the butt to, you couldn't pay me to not do the things I do now because I know how powerful I am when I do them and how big of a circus I am when I... When I don't do them, like, <laughs> dude, I get a little wobbly with yeah, my yeah. sleep. Bring my wife in. She'll tell you who shows up. It's not the guy she wants to be with, you know? So that's the game is to, Seneca talked about this 2,000 years ago. He says, you need to have the pertinacity, the, the, the relentless discipline to get to a point where doing what is best for you is what you most enjoy. 
And that's it right there, you know, and you just got to endure. And it, whether it's 15 days or 30 days or 15 months or 30 months, who cares? You get clarity on what you want to do, the price you're going to need to pay, and then you get to work paying it. Um, and then you celebrate it every single day. You know, I do 10 sets of 11 burpees every day. And every single time I do them at the end, I say, that's like me. And mm -hmm. I give myself a little fist bump and I'm constantly cultivating that identity that I'm a disciplined athlete. I'm the guy who shows up and does that. And self-image is a whole nother chat, but it's important. You're never going to outperform a bad self-image, which is why your friend who doesn't trust himself right now, we got to get him to trust himself in the little things so he can trust himself with the big things. But we want to constantly affirm, you know, commit to and then do the things we say we're going to do. And every time you do it, BJ Fogg, his greatest contribution in his opinion, and I agree is, you got to celebrate. That's the most important part of habit installation. And you don't celebrate 30 days after you meditated every day or did whatever. It's every time you do it, right when you do it, you connect the behavior to the dopamine hit of celebration while grooving the self-image, you know, neuro patterning that goes with that. And I literally fist pump, that's like me. I'm banging out my, my pull-ups on the tree on our property, which is our pull-up bar. I'm like, boom, that's like me. You know, I'm Varela, boom, that's like me. Like every single moment, I'm telling my son and my daughter that too. That's like you, you know, we're going out and he's doing whatever he's doing. And so anyway, it's, um, it's a powerful thing. Um, and the little things give us opportunities to um, build that self-confidence, that efficacy, belief in ourselves, et cetera. Yeah. This is bringing up something that I think so important is, is focusing on these little things and proving to yourself, developing that trust that you can show up in the manner you want to. I think there's three people on the planet who probably know I've been doing this all year, my wife, my kids, and then maybe my parents when they were visiting. So I actually do something similar. And I probably subconsciously got this from a uh, process that you have. So I drop down and I do 12 sets of 25 pushups every single day this year, because you do that, it's going to be over 100,000 over the year. And so it was- You do I, that and you get jacked. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> no, 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 seriously, my shoulders, they started to look different. I was like, this is great. But no, it, it gets back to everything that you've been saying, where it wasn't about, I want to get jacked. It said, I want to be able to do something when I don't feel like doing it and prove to myself again and again, 100,000 times this year that know what? You can. You can overcome that mental, internal, invisible barrier and step up and show up with Arte, as you say. So Curious yeah. Bumps, dude. Yeah. 100,000. He's doing 300 a day, folks. That's a number. Um, and that's exactly it. And then what's so cool is that you, you, you see that reflected to you in the mirror, literally now. Yeah. So you're seeing your physique change. You know, people ask me, well, what do you do? do I, all I do, that's what I do. I just shared with you what I don't do much at all, frankly, mm -hmm. but I do it every day, you know? And then I'm the guy that does it, whether I feel like it or not. Mm -hmm. And then when life hits us, we know we're that guy. And again, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't get overwhelmed and all the things. But then we've got, we've got a compass, you know? We've got a point of stability that we can come back to um, and rely on in the midst of, um, of life storms. I mean, Jesus talked about this. He's on my wall up there on the corner. I was raised Catholic. I like to celebrate my upbringing. Um, and he means a lot to me in different ways. But this is the parable of the wise and foolish builder. So he said that, look, if you build your house on sand, when the storm comes, you're going to get washed away. You need to build it on a, on a solid foundation of, uh, of granite, you know, of rock. Like then when the storms come, boom, you know, you can weather that storm. And he was using it metaphorically for following his practice and philosophy. 
But whatever your practice and philosophy is, if you aren't living in integrity with it, when life hits you hard, you're going to get blown away. Nassim Taleb, who coined the word anti-fragility, he uses a metaphor of the wind. When the wind arises, stress arises in your life, the wind will extinguish a candle, but it will fuel a fire. So the question is, what are you? And then your, your 12 sets of 25 push-ups, that's you building the bonfire that is your life, such that when the wind comes in, you kind of roll up your sleeves and say, all right, cool, this is what I've trained for. I'm gonna go get put to work all the things I've been practicing, um, preparing for this moment, you know? When did the moment click for you where you really wanted to explore wisdom? Because I'm looking back at your wall, I think about, what is it, 600 plus amazing recaps you've done on books, the, the philosopher's notes, the, the plus ones. I'm bringing up these things that are part of the heroic app and the website, which is just absolutely incredible. And I want to know for you, like, when did that start? When did you begin that journey? It's a great question. And again, I was raised in a conservative, blue-collar Catholic family, went to you know, Catholic school for 12 years. You know, I had to debate my dad at 12 years old to explain to him that Jesus was, in fact, Jewish. You know, like, I get the Bible and I'm like, look, this much of it is Judaism and then this much is Christianity, you know, really conservative yeah. um, family. Um, but there was something I was just, I've always been passionate about understanding what it is that makes truly happy, great, extraordinary, you know, culture shifting, historically great people great. Um and there have been, you know, moments in my life, the first, I was recruited to a leadership event at UCLA at 20, 21 years old, introduced to Stephen Covey, first self-development book I ever read, Seven Habits. Up until that point, I had no idea that I could consciously, deliberately create a life of meaning. It, the idea never occurred to me. And I didn't know what I would do with it at that point, but that just really struck me. Um, and then it's just become deeper and deeper and you know, I'm 49 now, so it was probably 26, 27 years old. I sold my first business. And I remember doing an exercise in a book called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. He has you write down 100 questions, you know, and whatever comes to mind, then rank order the one through 10 questions and um, really powerful exercise. But then he has you reflect on different questions. And he said, how can I get paid to do, how can you get paid to do what you love to do? And this is literally like almost 25 years ago. And it was very clear to me that I wanted to get paid to figure out how to live a great life and inspire and empower others to do the same. Um, and I've always been driven to make a difference in the world. But uh, those are some of the things. And then I've had a very, very, very low tolerance for doing things I wasn't passionate about. You know, the, the yeah. vomiting before, uh, <laughs> after work and at law school. Like I, I admire people that can show up and do things that I love. I'm not that guy. Which has come with its own pain, you know, of having to pay a price to, to find my path. Um, but those are some of the things that have guided me um, to try to figure it out and then to, uh, to try to do it at scale, you know, and to be willing to be fiercely ambitious about it and then to pay the price and do the hard work to, um, to see what we can do. Looking back over your own life, Brian, this could, this could be a small thing. It doesn't have to be some of the huge accomplishments. Is there something for you that just hits a chord? that is deep and internal, that's different than the other things you've accomplished. I'm just wondering if there's something that you look back and you say, you know what, this had tremendous meaning for me in life. Yeah, I mean, family, again, it's a truism, but, but 
you know, our two kids, the days they were born, you know, um, will always be the most powerful days of my life. Um, professionally, the thing that arises for me, it's, uh, it's a couple of videos that we've received from women who said they were going to end their own lives and didn't for whatever set of reasons after they discovered me and my work. Um, tears my eyes thinking about that. Like, that's it. Like, we've been blessed to work with people at the most elite levels, you know, in the military and sports and, and corporations, et cetera. But to be able to reach people when they need it most, you know, and to be able to share my story with them and what I've experienced and the pain I've gone through and what I've learned and to be able to help them in terms of the byproducts of my work, that's, that's by far um, the most powerful and impactful. And it's what drives me. You know, how do I, how do I help more people find their own um, path and, and purpose and all that stuff? I'm not sure if that was the frame of the answer or the question that you were looking for, but, but that's what arose for me. No, I, I love that. It's incredibly impactful and just a, a testament and speaks to the work that you've done, the commitment that you've made and where you've shown up every single day and done all that. And you've pulled out some of the wisdom of the people behind you. I would love to know if you could sit down with any one of those people, who are you choosing if you're only choosing one? And what's the question you want to ask them? Dude, I'd hang out with, with it'd be tough. I mean, I'd go with Epictetus. It's between Epictetus and Aurelius. And I used to have Epictetus and Aurelius, and I got so much shade that it was a dude wall that I decided to round it out with Eleanor Roosevelt, my daughter, Eleanor, who we named after her, and then my son, Emerson. But Epictetus and Aurelius are my two favorite people, heroes. Um, so it'd be, I'll, I'll break your rule. So I would hang out with those two guys. Yeah. So Epictetus is my favorite teacher. Aurelius is my favorite leader. And Epictetus taught the guys who taught Aurelius. Mm -hmm. So um, those guys. But then, you know, when, when I do this work, I ask a similar question to the, the coaches and people we train. And I have them think of their two favorite heroes, but then I require them to make the third person who's there, them at their best, most heroic self. Mm -hmm. So that's actually who I'd love to hang out with. I'd love to hang out with the version of me in, you know, 5, 10, 15, 25 years, who's actually lived at the highest possible level of the things you and I are talking about right now. Um, goosebumps, I want to hear what that guy has to say to me, you know, and I, I use that as an exercise in the book. I come back to it often, but yeah. And I, I'd say to him, what do you want me to know? Hmm. What is it I need to be doing right now? Um, and frankly, I ask myself that question a lot. Um, and I ask my heroes I mentioned every day yeah. in meditation, the same question. Yeah, I think one of the great things I love about your new book, Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential, is just the number of amazing insights followed up with amazing questions. I've had so many life-altering moments because of the power of questions, and you bring so many of those. What led to the book? Obviously, you've been compiling wisdom. You've been teaching it for years. I would just love to know how you decided to structure the book the way you did and what really led to that. Yeah, so I'm just yep, going to grab a copy puppy of up. That, that was the hardest part of the process, by the way, was decide what it was going to be. And I had a few different pathways. Um, one was the normal 200, 300 page book in which I write like most people write and hey, let's go, you know. But my style is more like Stephen Pressfield, uh, you know, war of art, pithy, Very in and unique. out, yeah. age or two or three, you know, and just try to get in and make it simple and make it inspiring and make it easy. More wisdom and less time. Anyway. Then it was like, well, how long is it going to be? And how many ideas am I going to feature? So I asked my team what ideas I've shared with them that have most changed their life. And um, they shared their answers, you know, like three or five or 10, or my right-hand guy's got like 50 things. But none of them were the same. 
They were all different. And so it was one of those moments where like, well, which, my, which idea am I going to leave out? Because this idea like fundamentally changed her life and this one did his life. And then I realized it needed to be a different kind of book. So the book has 451 of the most transformative ideas that I've learned over the last basically 25 years now. And it's 451 because that's how many degrees you need to create a fire. You want to set paper on fire? You got to get to an activation energy point. You want to boil water? Nothing happens at 200 degrees or 210 or 211. It's got to get to 212 activation energy points. So again, if you want to start a fire, you have to get to 451. So it's 451 ideas, each one of which um, is you know a page or two or three in the seven objectives that we talked about five of them on. Um, and hopefully one or more will give you what you need in an aggregate, give you what you need to um, step up and show up. But it's a thousand page book. Yeah. You know, so it's simultaneously, I hope, hyper readable, easy to read, but it's got a gravitas to it. It's got a, a weight to it that um, hopefully will be substantive um, in terms of its ability to help people, you know, step up to the next best version of themselves. Oh, absolutely. And now I know the listeners, their internal energy, we, they're at 451 right now. They're ready to go. They're like, Brian Johnson, <laughs> man, you, you got me going. You rug, rub you those sticks together. Let, let's go. This is a good one. <laughs> so, so where do you want to direct the listeners? Of course, we're going to have uh, Heroic linked up. We're going to have the book, Arte, Activate Your Heroic Potential in the show notes. Any, anywhere you want to direct them if they're listening right now? I mean, honestly, you know, there's RJ the book and on Amazon, wherever you buy books, et cetera. There's Heroic. Um, we've got an app. You can learn more about it at Heroic.us and in iOS and Android. Check that out. Um, but I want to point you back to your best self, you know? And then practically speaking, like, we didn't talk about it, but the exercise I do to help people get clarity on who they are at their best is to bust out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On the upper left, put do. On the upper right, put don't. And think about who you are at your best. What do you do when you're at your best? What do you not do? And life is simple. Do more of the things you do, less of the things you don't do, then circle the one thing that if you started doing it more consistently would most change your life. And more importantly, the thing you need to stop doing. Um, so at the end of the day, that's it. Like, let's go get to work. Um, but dude, great chat. Really, really enjoyed connecting. I appreciate you and all the ideas and thrilled that we've been connected for so long. Congrats on your new book. And uh, let's go. Let's go. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.